wisdom, and wine. A weekly conversation with practitioners, providers, patients, and healers about complex reproductive medicine and women's health challenges, the value of an integrative approach to these challenges, many of the women's health topics you're already thinking about but uncomfortable talking about, and my personal favorite, wine. I'm your host, Dr. Lorena White, an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health provider, licensed acupuncturist, clinical herbalist, and a former labor support doula in the Washington, D.C. metro area. My goal is to bring women's health-specific evidence and expertise to the forefront of daily women's health and wellness news through informative conversations. If you have ideas, questions, and specific topics that you would like us to cover in future podcast episodes, please leave them in the comment section or send us an email at info at To learn more about our team's approach to care, visit our website at www.larenawhite.com. As you enjoy the podcast, conversations, and wine time, remember to follow the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and tap on the bell to make sure you never miss an episode. Let us know what is your favorite topic, who has been your favorite guest, and who would you like to hear from on the next pod. Most importantly, share the podcast and your favorite episode with a friend or colleague. Lastly, remember that this podcast is not designed to be a substitute for a bona fide relationship with a licensed or certified healthcare professional. Coming up, I talk with Haley Fountain about seed cycling, the definition of whole foods, bioindividuality, and eating right for your blood type. So grab yourself a glass of Cabernet and let's join the conversation. Women's hormonal health is about way more than your menstrual cycle. While hormonal imbalances can cause irregular periods, absent periods, spotting, and even perimenopause on the road to menopause, today we're talking with Haley Fountain about hormone health for several aspects, from several aspects. Haley, please introduce yourself and tell us about your focus on hormonal health and coaching. Hi, I'm so excited to be here with you, Dr. White. Thank you for having me. Um, So yeah, my name is Haley Fountain. I am a certified integrative nutrition health coach with a specialization in hormonal health for women. I'm also a certified uh, yoga and meditation instructor. So I kind of combine, you know, the nutrition and hormonal aspects along with the nervous system regulation benefits you get from yoga and meditation to help women uh, live happier and more fulfilling and healthier lives. Excellent. I love that. And I really love the approach that you talked about in integrative because they have the money center is an integrated reproductive medicine and women's health firm. And I really do believe in the integrative approach to health, wellness and healing, because I feel so many times we try to focus on one aspect when we need to be focusing on the integrative aspect and the synergistic aspects of all the different modalities and from everything to diet and exercise all the way to yoga and vaginal steaming. So I think that's very important. So let's dive in. Um, So most of the time when we think about hormonal health in women, we tend to singularly focus on estrogen. Why do you think that is? Well, estrogen is the hormone most associated with femininity. I mean, estrogen is what is used to build up the endometrial lining and and help to create uh, your egg if you're uh, a menstruating woman, uh, an egg uh, every month. And estrogen is the hormone that gives us that nice like plump skin and fuller breasts at certain times of the month. And so it it is um, the 
the hormone that's most associated with femininity or the, the aspects of femininity in our society, right? So that makes sense. But a lot of people don't realize there's so much more. It's kind of like a cocktail of hormones that actually, um, you know, keep our menstrual cycle running and keep our bodies running. But I, I think that's probably why it is. It's just, um, it's the hormone that we associate with femininity. Absolutely. And even though we have testosterone coursing through our bodies and men also have estrogen coursing through theirs. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, we have that singular focus on estrogen for those obvious reasons. And again, part of this is about seeing the body, the person, the individual um, from a complete aspect. And estrogen is not the one doing all the heavy lifting. It is doing some heavy lifting in concert with a whole slew of other hormones. And so when we talk about hormone dysfunction and hormone balance, we've got to focus on something other than just the role that estrogen plays, but the role that estrogen plays in concert with all the other ones. So that gets us started. So we often talk about hormone balance when in actuality, hormones fluctuate all throughout our ongoing cycles, including including a monarchy, pregnancy, perimenopause, and potentially even menopause, surgically induced or natural. And it's almost like a seesaw. So talk with us about the hormones you specifically focus on and why. Yeah. So, um, there's a lot of hormones I focus on, uh, when I, it depends also at what stage, um, my clients are in their life. Generally speaking, I'm looking at estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. Um, and then for my clients who are struggling with, you know, weight management, we're looking at thyroid hormones, um, T3 and T4. I'm looking at, um, some of their other hormones like leptin, ghrelin, and ways that we can uh, naturally manage those. For my clients that are struggling with like energy levels, we're looking at cortisol, melatonin, serotonin, um, adrenaline, and things like that. So it really depends, but that that's kind of probably in general 90% of what I'm looking at. Absolutely. And those all make sense. And again, this is just to illustrate that, again, it's not just about our menstrual cycle hormones, the estrogen, the progesterone, the testosterone, the luteinizing hormone, the follicular stimulating hormone, our AMH, like all those things that you look at when you're looking at a fertility workup, because those things are important for the actual ongoing of our menstrual cycle. But there's so many other hormones that influence that cycle that if we just take those things alone, including, you know, the prolactin, and all the ones you mentioned, then we're really missing out on the point. And so I think when we look at the overall menstrual cycle and just the cycle that how our cycles are ongoing throughout our life cycle, we really got to take into account that full picture as you described. So one of the most important and consistent ways that we influence our hormone health is through food and dietary lifestyle choices that is designed for you and specific for your blood type. So outside of the blood type, talk to us about how food affects hormones. Yeah. So our food, our body creates all of our cells from the food that we eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're eating a nutritious diet that's full of uh, whole foods, like not whole foods, the store, but whole yes. foods. <laughs> when I say that, people get confused, but um, fruits and vegetables and healthy fats and proteins, um, then your body, you know, most of the time will be optimized and will be creating hormones in a way that we want that benefits us. Um, if you're eating a lot of processed foods or foods that have a lot of chemicals um, sprayed on them, a lot of endocrine disruptors, then you might start to see some of those issues. So simply put, the food that we eat creates the cells and our cells, uh, you know, and our organs create our hormones. And so whenever you're not eating uh, foods that are beneficial for your body, then it's going to impact your hormones negatively. 
Absolutely. And I think you mentioned, you know, Whole Foods, the store versus Whole Foods. And so some people are like, well, what's, you know, what, what does that mean? And so if you go out into the world, you can find a potato. You know where potatoes come from. You can identify it under the ground as it grows, all those things. However, you cannot identify a French fry in <laughs> <laughs> in anyone's natural habitat. The French fry tree. <laughs> the French fry bush tree yeah. shrub does not exist. <laughs> so while French fries are made from potatoes, there have been a lot of steps and stages to take it from that raw potato to the French fry. And all those things that are done to make a potato a French fry really detract from its nutritional value and potentially in excess can be harmful. So I think it's important for us to truly understand, you know, a whole food and, you know, that distinction because so many people, they say it, but they don't really understand the the meaning, the rationale, and then the implications of a whole food diet versus um, one that may have more processed foods um, than not. Yeah. And just and, to uh, add to that, sure. sorry to interrupt you, but just to add to that, um, and you know, the reason that's beneficial and like why eating foods in their whole form or as whole as possible is ideal is because whenever you process foods and you cook foods, you actually break down the the nutrients and they become less nutritious the more cooked and processed they become. So for example, there's a lot, cauliflower has kind of gotten a glow up recently. Mm-hmm. Um, cauliflower, and, and there's a lot of like cauliflower-based products, which is great, especially like if you're gluten intolerant or you have a sensitivity. However, like eating a cauliflower crust pizza is not the same as eating real cauliflower that's maybe just been lightly steamed or right. chopped and put in a salad or pickled because, and, and the reason that's beneficial is you know, cruciferous vegetables have a compound called indole-3-carbinol, which is really helpful in your body detoxing excess hormones. If you're eating cauliflower crust pizza, which there's something where I like cauliflower crust pizza, nothing wrong with that, but (laughs) also eating like real cauliflower or, you know, real broccoli or whatever it is. So, um, because there's a lot of like processed versions of Mm -hmm. vegetables now, which I mean, is I think a good option if it's your, you know, if you're traveling, if just something on the go, but trying to eat foods that are less processed and also not broken down and cooked so much is really beneficial. True. And it also helps to refine your palate because I think sometimes we have never had that food in its natural form. So we don't really know what it tastes like. And so we've been tasting it with, you know, drizzled in X or sauteed and, you know, whether it's olive oil. And so even if it's not in its raw form, but it's in whole form, you're actually being able to see like, hey, this chicken or this whatever actually tastes good, lightly seasoned versus completely changed into something that may not be resemble anything like what we would see in its natural state, in its whole state. And that's important. And one of the things I had mentioned before was about blood typing. So as you use cauliflower, for an example, cauliflower is, again, the food itself is not good. But if you look at an old blood type like myself, cauliflower is on my avoid list. So it's really important that we take those things into account as well, because oftentimes we talk about foods that are air quote good for you. But as the individual, we have to talk about what is good for me, the individual, based on my history. Um, Certain things may be beneficial or neutral or things to avoid based on our chemical predispositions and what are are already going to exacerbate conditions that we may have acquired, you know, in life. So it's really important to take into account those specific um, predispositions that we may have, whether they be genetic, hormonal, or otherwise, so that we're not doing 
more harm than good based on air quote a food that is good for us Mm-hmm. So taking into account blood type um, and all those different things that we just mentioned, what foods are good for hormone signaling, signaling and re- regulation? Yeah. So um, as you mentioned before, you know, we all are bio-individual. So something that is healthy for one person may not be healthy for another. Yeah. But in general, um, I mean, as I mentioned before, fruits and vegetables, real foods are going to be so helpful. Fiber is so important with hormonal health, especially for women, because we detox a lot of excess hormones through our bowels. And so having a diet that's high in fiber, which you're going to get from fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and again, cruciferous vegetables, I'm a big fan of for women, um, unless you have a a major thyroid issue. So um, fruits and vegetables and eating, um, you know, lean cuts of meat, uh, beef. I know beef has been kind of, um, beef has been demonized a little bit, but I think (laughs) As long as it's from a good source, yes, we should be that eating. Part. We should Say be it again. Beef. Say it again. Say as long it as again. it's from a good source, yes, we should yes. be eating beef. I eat beef like twice a week. Um, yes. So I, you know, we beef and even pork again from a good source. A lot of the right. pork that's available to us is not great. Um, I'm not a. I don't personally love a lot of pork just because I don't love the taste of it. But a little yeah. bit of pork, chicken, fish, getting more wild caught fatty fish mm-hmm. like salmon, mackerel, herring, sardines. I know some of the smaller ones, um, they're pretty fishy, but you can actually get, there's a lot of um, sardine products out there now that are, um, they come like slightly smoked or like slightly Mm -hmm. and like all like kind of brined in olive oil. And they're not too bad actually. And you can like saute them. There's all sorts of recipes, but those uh, fatty fish are really helpful. They're so nutritious um, and so nutrient dense and abundant. So you're not harming the planet when you're eating them. Right. Um, what else? Like getting good quality oils, like switching to avocado oil, even a little bit of coconut oil, um, things like that. Nuts and seeds are superfoods for women's health as well. Again, great sources of fiber, protein, and healthy fat. So, um, you know, I practice seed cycling and I get a lot of my clients doing that. That's where yeah. you're eating different seeds. I'm sure your audience knows all about this because of you, yes. but you're <laughs> eating different seeds at different times of the month um, to help balance certain hormones. Um, what else? Pomegranate seeds also, really all kinds of seeds, but pomegranate seeds are also a really great superfood for women, super high in fiber. Um, a sweet potato is another uh, food, a great complex carbohydrate that's full of beta carotene and all these really great nutrients. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it really, it's just, again, as I said, like fruits and vegetables, uh, pastured meat and eggs, um, good sources of healthy fats and just trying to limit processed foods and limit your sugar intake. And if you are eating sugar, just make sure it's from something as natural as possible, like fruit or something. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's ways to, again, make food taste well with herbs and spices that aren't directly salt or, mm-hmm. you know, adding additional or, you know, sugar and things that can, things that can already be naturally sweet. And again, that helps to refine your palate so you don't have that craving for something that's super salty, super sweet, or any other extreme. Mm-hmm. So on the flip side, and you mentioned it already in terms of red meat, um, what foods have a higher probability of affecting your hormones in a negative way by throwing off those same hormone signaling and regulation pathways? Yeah, and in my opinion, and in many people's opinion, I would say um, beyond just processed foods, eating foods that have been sprayed with chemicals, eating um, meat and poultry that has been raised with a bunch of, you know, in a conventional farming um, situation where there's a, they're being fed a lot of antibiotics and just really not in a healthy environment um, that can negatively impact 
um, alcohol. And I hate to say that because I know a lot of people love um, their alcohol, but alcohol has a really negative impact on your hormones um, sure. whenever you uh, consume too much of it. Um, but I think those would probably be the main ones. I know, you know, soy is a food that again has been demonized. I personally think as long as again, it's a good source of soy fermented soy, you can have it in moderation. Again, having large amounts of it can be, um, you know, detrimental to your hormones, but in small amounts, um, that it can, I don't think it's terrible unless again, it's processed GMO soy, Mm -hmm. which is what's typically available to us here in the U S. Um, Gluten and dairy are another one that it depends on the person. Um, I find with myself and a lot of my clients, if you're eating like a fermented sourdough, um, I have a company here that I buy um, from and they import their flowers from Italy. So it's a different type of wheat. Mm -hmm. They ferment it for like a few days and I don't have any issues digesting it. Um, But a lot of the conventional breads that are available at your local grocery store um, could potentially cause some issues. And then uh, dairy is another one where if you're getting just, you know, your conventional dairy that you buy at the grocery store, probably not the best thing for your hormones. But if it's like a, if you're going to the farm and getting like raw milk dairy, there's been some studies that have shown that can be beneficial for women's health. I personally can't do dairy at all. My body just doesn't like it. But um, again, that goes back to bio individuality, right? So it, it depends on the person, but generally speaking, you want to avoid, limit your alcohol intake, avoid sugar and processed foods that have a ton of, um, you know, sugar and salt on them. Um, you want to avoid conventionally farmed meat, poultry, and eggs. So trying to find things that are pastured and raised and they're actually eating grass, not like some sort of soy or corn GMO feed. Mm -hmm. Um, And trying to buy organic things that don't have chemicals sprayed on them. Right. Exactly. And you hit on so many different things there. First, the soy. Um, Going back to blood type, soy is beneficial for A's, but not beneficial for O's. And so when we talk about, you know, that hormone disruption, even if we're talking about, you know, different types of soy, an A-type person that has, let's say, an estrogen-dominant condition like fibroids or endometriosis, they're truly feeding the, you know, the fibroid growth and the endometriosis dissemination should they continue to ingest large quantities of soy products. And again, you're making a bad situation worse. On the flip side, you know, someone who's an O-type um, needs that meat, needs that red meat. Like we, we absolutely need it. It's, it's a beneficial and we, the soy products are detrimental and things to avoid. So again, talking about that, you know, I, that, you know, personalizing that individualized approach is very important because we are different and we all have different things between nature and nurture that are going to separate us from the person that's sitting right next to us. And what may have worked for that person may not have worked for another and looking at organic products, again, even realizing that, you know, just because it says organic on the label doesn't mean that the contents are entirely organic. It could have been made from organic products or organic <laughs> ingredients. And so really being able to familiarize, familiarize yourself with the label and how to read one. Again, mm-hmm. very, very important. Loving all these things. Yes. So um, explain the gut-brain axis and how gut health influences <laughs> hormone health. Yeah. So um, I think scientists are just really starting to uncover the connection between our gut and our brain, our gut and our brain. And they are, you know, they're referring to the gut as the second brain now because of all of, 
the functions that we're realizing happen in our gut. I mean, over 70% of your, it might be even more that they've discovered now, um, 70% plus of your immune, immune system is located in your gut. Right. And a lot of um, the things that impact our mood, like serotonin, are mostly made in the gut as well. So right. there's a big connection between um, our gut and our brain. And in terms of how that impacts our hormone health, I mean, it goes back to, again, the way that you absorb, break down, digest, assimilate, and eliminate your food impacts how your cells absorb it and therefore impacts what how your hormones are created, right? right. So if you think about um, you know, our, our brain health, our mood, our energy levels, our ability to concentrate and focus, all those things that are connected to cognitive function, it goes to show that the way that we're able to digest and assimilate our food is going to impact the way our cognitive function and um, our brain health and our overall health. Right. And I think it talks about the actual metabolism of nutrients in the foods that we take in, everything that we you know we're taking into our bodies. And some of those things are just not going to work if our gut is just in a state of you know, disarray. We're just not going to be able to, it's just impossible to get the benefit of some of those nutrients and even how we, you know, take in our supplements. A lot of times we are given supplements, but they're not told like, is this a, you know, water soluble or fat soluble? So you're taking your vitamin D and you're taking it with water, uh, you know, with, you know, alone and wondering, hmm, I'm not quite getting the benefits or that I, you know, that we thought about it would be getting because it's fat soluble. And so unless you, you know, taking it with food, you're not getting the benefits of vitamin D, but that requires education. And a lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to take my all my supplements at one time during the day and then really not understanding, one, you're probably taking too many supplements. That's the first thing. And then mm -hmm. two, okay, you're maybe not taking that supplement in the most effective way um, to achieve those desired results. So those are all things important in terms of establishing a very good, sound um, gut health regimen. So what are some of the key symptoms of gut microbiome imbalance, also known as dysbiosis? Um, there are so many. So yes. <laughs> um, what's interesting too, so all, some of the more obvious ones, obviously, you know, having excess gas, if you're uh, belching, if you are um, having bloating, like uncomfortable bloating, especially the type of bloat where like you can't, like it almost feels like sharp needles, like you can't even like suck it in if you try, like it's just kind of like um, protruding out. Um, yeah. Obviously, if you're having any weird symptoms with your uh, bowel movements, everyone should be having one to three bowel movements a day. If you're not, then that means something is off with your gut. I know that the old um, recommendation used to be like, oh, well, if you go every other day, but you've always been that way, then that's normal. No. If you're Thank eating you every day, that. that's exactly <laughs> what I say. <laughs> if you are eating every day, you should be pooping every day, you guys. Yes. If you don't take anything else away from this, um, <laughs> Constipation is constipation is the real pandemic right now. I'm right. telling you, everyone's yeah. constipated. So, um, yeah, so that's a big one is you should be having really, yeah, if you're eating three times a day, you really should be eliminating three times a day, but at least one bowel movement, uh, usually in the morning between eight, you know, the time you wake up till like 12 is considered right. um, regular and normal. So that's one. Um, I could go off on a whole tangent about bowel movements. Oh, me too. Uh, me too. <laughs> I know. We, there's so many it's things so, It's so about. important. And even as you talked about that in TCM, the optimal range at two hour window for the colon is five to 7 a.m. around the time that most of us kind of get up. And that peak time is at 6 a.m. So anywhere between that window is when the large intestine is doing its, its, you know, its work where it's highly, you know, the most functional at this peak of its function. So really being able to 
have that regular bowel movement. And like you said, if you are eating, there should be some elimination because, and especially depends on what you're eating. Um, and even on the days that I fast, I have a bowel movement and yeah. cause it's just like, there's still something in there. There's still something in there. And it's important to, you know, keep that water intake as well. So that again, it's not just about what you're eating, but that smooth passage as well. Yeah. And it's, yeah. So bowel movements too. And so those are some of the more obvious, you know, right. signs of gut dysbiosis. Now, some that are, may not be as obvious skin issues. If you're mm. having issues with your skin, um, psoriasis, really bad acne, um, rosacea, things like that. Those are usually tied to the gut quite often yeah. to like a food sensitivity or something's off with your gut. So that's a less obvious one. But, sure. um, when I have clients come to me with skin issues, we always start, well, we usually always work on the gut anyways, but, uh, and particularly with those types of issues. Um, and even, you know, I would argue that any hormonal imbalance you're having could potentially be linked to the gut because yes. again, it's probably because you're not absorbing and assimilating and eliminating properly. Something is off. For example, estrogen dominance. Well, you, you know, we eliminate the majority of our estrogen or excess estrogen through our bowels. So if you're not, if your body isn't, so usually I'm with my clients that have issues with estrogen dominance. I'm like, okay, tell me about your bowel movements. And they're like, yeah, I go every day. And I'm like, no, what does it look like? How mm -hmm. large is it? What's the, like, I need to know details. Send me a picture maybe. Like I need yep. to know what's going on here. So um, you're my type of girl, because those are the yes. questions that I ask. And now like in the beginning, they're like, you mean you want to, like, we're going to talk like all those details. They're like, I don't even look. I'm like, okay, that's strike one. We need you to gotta like, look, check it gotta out. Look. You got to understand. And my thing is, yes, it's disgusting, but it's disgusting because it's, it went through your body. You did this. So if you think yeah. it's disgusting, then it's a reflection about what you're putting in your body. Um, and now like once like that third or fourth, they're like, oh my goodness, everything has changed. Like here, I took a picture or here, this is what it was. And I know all the things you're going to ask and it was smooth and it was snake-like and it was, it was, yeah, and it was like, S, all those yes, all those things. And I'm like, yes, yes. Now we're winning. Now we're yes. winning. And you love your poop. I love it. All that. All is good. <laughs> I always joke. I'm like, once you get the S down, then you can start to write your name. Yes. There you go. You can get real creative, real creative. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And I think so, we're just so, again, things that we're not like accustomed to talking about, but yet there's so many things that can be diagnostic just based on looking at your bowel habits and your urinary habits that, okay, we need to make some shifts so that you can start reaping the benefits of some of these changes that you're making. So very mm -hmm. good. I love that. And earlier on, you even talked about how you had some European pasta, um, but yet you didn't necessarily have the associated kind of um, bloat or what some people associate with gluten insensitivity and it's because of what we put on the, our wheat products here. Like mm -hmm. they don't spray, you know, with all that, you know, stuff that we spray here and cover our, you know, crops with. And so it's not necessarily the wheat. It's about what we treat our wheat with um, that causes some of um, our health conditions. And again, in Europe, they don't necessarily do that. So the association with like, Oh, I can't eat pasta or can't eat gluten. No, you just can't eat, pasta or wheat that has been treated with some of those things that, um, chemicals that are the main issue. Yeah. Excellent. I've told, uh, just side note on that. Like yeah. I, because I mentioned I'm, I'm pretty sensitive to dairy, so I don't, I do very little dairy in my diet and, um, I do eat gluten, but I'm just, you know, really selective about the type of gluten I eat. Sure. When I went to Italy last year, I was there for two weeks. Girl, I ate, <laughs> 
I had bread for breakfast, yep. pasta for lunch, gelato for dessert, pasta for dinner, and then either gelato again or a cannoli every day. Let me tell you, I did not gain any weight. I never had any bloating or digestion. And I was like, how is this even possible? I'm literally just eating carbs and dairy every day. Now I will say we were walking. I was probably getting like 30,000 steps in per day, but it really goes down to the quality of the food. Like here, yeah. if I even look at a, at a bowl of ice cream, like my stomach just totally Things are not going to go well, right? Yeah, it's not good. So, but it just goes to show the quality is, is yeah. a big factor. Yeah. And how we treat our food prior to it getting to us. And I think a lot of times that goes back to eating seasonally and local and organic and whole in order for us to derive those benefits. And so many times when I see that mango in December, I'm like, who's eating that? And why is it in the grocery store? Like why yeah. is, there should never be a mango for even for even public consumption in December? Because where did that come from? It didn't come from anywhere in this in this hemisphere. Like it just didn't. So in yeah. order to get it here, it had to be treated and, you know, all with all this stuff. And it's like, that's not even a mango anymore. That's just some horrible representation because now I'm getting all the bad stuff just so you could get me a mango in December and you weren't <laughs> in the Caribbean somewhere. So, so yeah, it's just like a vicious cycle. And we've got to learn how to not only re-educate ourselves, but make those choices um, in terms of eating seasonally and local and organic and whole. So we can, you know, incorporate those things into our diets along with our own individual specifications. So as we talk about gut health, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the effects of birth control on gut health. And before we go on, it's important to recognize birth control for what it truly is, a synthetic endocrine disruptor. So how does birth control affect the microbiome of the gut? Yeah, so the biggest, I mean, the birth control impacts the gut in so many ways, but the biggest issue uh, from the research that I've seen and with, you know, I was I took the birth control pill for like five years up until I was probably 20 up until I learned about what it was doing to my body. So I think I was like 21 or 20 maybe when I stopped taking it. Um, so the biggest issue is that it causes leaky guts, which mm. that's something, or what I think the official term is gut hyperpermeability. Yes. Uh, you would know better than, than I would. But you're right, uh, you're so, right. yeah. So it basically causes the gut lining to weaken because your, your intestinal lining are, determines like what comes in and what comes out. So it basically makes your intestinal lining weak. And then you start to have like protein molecules and like toxins and things that you're, that should be kind of moving through your gut that are now being released into your body. And then your immune system goes, wait, what is all this junk and <laughs> freaks out. And that's when you see autoimmune conditions popping up and you see right. um, all sorts of like weird symptoms, like a lot of allergic reactions and things like that uh, because your body's like, what the heck is going on? And so I think that's yeah. the biggest issue. And the, what's really hard is you can repair it, but it takes a long time. And for some people, the damage is irreversible, if, especially if yeah. you've been, you know, taking the birth control for a long time. If you did it for two or three years while you were in college, probably going to be okay. But if you're on it for 10 plus years, like sometimes that damage, unfortunately, can almost be irreversible or you can, you can make it better, but it's never going to be the way it was. Right. And I always tell people, let's say if you've been taking birth control for five years, it's going to take, I mean, consistently, it's going to take about 10 to clear that from your system and the, and the effects of it from your system. People are like 10 years. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a car. I, yeah. I compare it to like a car. I say like the, the birth control pill cuts off communication between your yes. brain and your ovaries and some of your other things. And if you think about a car, like if you just didn't drive your car for a year or two, it, you know, it'd probably be like, uh, uh, you know, like you'd be a little bit, you know, tweaky, but it, you could probably drive it. But if you didn't drive your car for 10 years, do you think you could just turn it on and drive it like normal? 
No, no, things are going to be rusty. You're going to have to replace some parts. It's going to take a little, a lot of work, a lot of, you know, you need more than just an oil change to get yes, that baby consistent going. Consistent work and overhaul almost. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, um, yeah, long-term use is where I see the biggest issues. But yeah, back to your question, it's, I think the biggest concern is that leaky gut. And unfortunately, it can potentially be irreversible for some people. Right. Because I think when we think also birth control, most of us are thinking the oral contraceptive pill, whether that's, you know, progestin only or low estrogen, you know, any of those aspects. But the same things happen when we're using local, whether that be an IUD, whether it's, you know, low hormone or whether it's a copper IUD, because again, that's causing local inflammation and that's going to definitely change the composition of your, you know, endometrial lining. And when we're talking about pregnancy and fertility and, you know, potential for pelvic inflammatory disease, all those things, that's where, you know, some problems are going to come in because if you're, you know, your endometrial lining has been inflamed for five years just taking it out one is an ordeal because mm-hmm. again, it's not just like, okay, now we're ready to take it out and things are going to go back to normal. But if you've had inflammation by in design for five years, what are you doing to you know reverse that? And like you said, some, and you know, inflammation leads to, even on our skin can lead to scarring. So if we're dealing now with scarring and fibrotic tissue and adhesions, all those things from trying to prevent to, in order to prevent getting pregnant, when that time comes, it's not, it's an uphill battle. It's an mm-hmm. uphill battle because you're trying to kind of reverse the thing that you have been intentionally trying to create in an environment that you were intentionally creating for, for that long. So again, it's just not, it's not, it's not easy. And I really do think that, you know, birth control and women's health is one of those topics that I do believe is a public health issue yes. because so many women are using birth control to control their fertility. So they have some control over when they get pregnant and how, but they're not factoring in that recovery period where it's like, wait a minute, things just don't bounce back and return to pre birth control status. And the answer is not only no, is it not going to, but it's going to return to a status that you're not even familiar with because you've never been there. And so we Mm -hmm. don't necessarily know, or, you know, understand we've got to take those next steps to kind of not only detox that birth control from your system, but also to repair any damage that occurred in the process. And just to add to that, um, you know, because I've had some people be like, well, I don't ever want to have children. So why should I care about that? But birth control impacts more than just your fertility. Um, As you mentioned, it impacts your gut health. Uh, You know, it increases your chance of like four different types of cancer by like 200%. Um, It increases your chances of, you know, PCOS and all sorts of things. Uh, There's, I think I saw another study, something about uh, Crohn's disease. It increases Mm -hmm. your chance by like 400% for Crohn's disease. So Uh, This is beyond just fertility, although, you know, the ability to manage our fertility and uh, is a is a gift. And that's why I always say I'm like, I'm grateful for the time that I took birth control because that's all I knew at the time. And um, it you know, I was able to, uh, you know, manage my fertility accordingly. But now that I know what I know and there's other ways to manage my fertility that don't require me putting synthetic hormones into my body. Um, So it goes back to education. And I always tell everyone when it comes to birth control or anything you take for that matter, like knowledge is power. And maybe after you've educated yourself on the risks um, and the consequences, you still feel like like it's the best option for you, then that's great. But 
educate yourself. <laughs> educate yourself first and then also educate on the non-hormonal ways mm-hmm. so that you can, you know, again, teach yourself about learning about your own body yes. and putting yourself in a situation where you can learn what your body is and not rely solely on your app because your app is not determined and set for your own menstrual cycle. Yes. It is like there's some pre- some presets that yeah, algorithms, yes, that aren't going to mimic what your menstrual cycle looks like. And so I think a lot of people are just solely dependent on that and they don't know necessarily know when they're ovulating, but they'll say, Well, my app told me that I'm, you know, tells me that I'm ovulating tomorrow. And I'm like, Okay, but based on what? They're like, you yeah. know, just based on the stuff that I put in. Okay, but we gotta figure out what that symptoms, things that you might be feeling or noticing, how that ties into your own hormonal changes and fluctuations so that you can make those decisions for yourself and not solely rely on an app that, again, wasn't tailored specifically with you in mind. Mm -hmm. So many people ask me if probiotics will help. What are your thoughts? And um, talk to us about the difference between prebiotics, probiotics, postbiotics, and everything in between in terms of helping, I guess, detox from birth control. Yeah. So it can certainly help uh, because when you take birth control, it does disrupt your gut microbiome quite a bit. And again, that can potentially be, unless you proactively make some changes, it can potentially alter it. it it'll never be the, it might improve after you you know start working on it, but you may not get your gut microbiome back to the way that it was um, whenever, even before you took birth control. So the difference, major difference between prebiotics, pro and post Um, prebiotics are kind of like, it's basically fiber, vegetable fiber, uh, but it's basically the food for the probiotics. So prebiotics, as the name would imply, are the precursor to probiotics. They are kind of the food that the probiotics can feed on. Probiotics are, as most of us know, the beneficial bacteria pro, it's like good, uh, that are, that are necessary in our gut to break everything down and keep things moving. Um, but also side note, you know, your gut microbiome impacts your mouth microbiome and your vaginal microbiome. So that's all connected as well. And your skin microbiome too. Um, So improving that gut microbiome can do good things for your entire body. And last. There you go. I was like, just just take, just drink the water. (laughs) Just drink the water. It's okay. I don't know what's going on. Bear with me one second. Sure. Take your time. All right. All right. Lastly, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a five, four, three, two, one countdown. Mm-hmm. So then my, it'll um, signal my husband around that time that he can kind of splice things. I, I appreciate you putting yourself on mute because he'll be able to hear it too. Um, so do you want to go from your right where you were answering or do you want me to ask you the question again? Let's start over. I'll get back in my flow. Okay. That sounds good. All right. Five, four, three, two, one. So many people ask me if probiotics will help in terms of improving that life after birth control period. So what are your thoughts in general? And talk to us about the difference between prebiotics, probiotics, postbiotics, and everything in between. Yes. So yeah, short answer. Yes. Taking probiotics can be super beneficial because uh, one of the impacts of the birth control pill and or any hormonal contraceptive for that matter is that it does disrupt the gut microbiome. So taking probiotics can certainly help with that. Now, when it comes to pre, pro, and postbiotics, prebiotics are simply food for your probiotics. As the name would imply, pre, they are the precursor to probiotics. So, um, and those are things like fiber, basically, yes. <laughs> that help your body. So vegetable fiber. 
Right. And then um, probiotics are the uh, the pro good beneficial bacteria for um, your gut. And then postbiotics are actually the chemical secretions that come from your gut microbiome, your, your good bacteria. Um, so they all, they have a symbiotic relationship and they all work in tandem together. Um, when it comes to probiotics, yes, taking probiotics can be really beneficial. And I don't think everyone should just be taking a probiotic pill. You want to focus on probiotic rich foods, fermented foods, because, um, although taking a probiotic is really beneficial, I look at it as insurance, but you still need to be doing the, the basics. And that means eating fermented foods. So trying to get at least one serving of uh, a fermented food daily, something like kimchi, sauerkraut, kefir, um, yogurt, could be dairy yogurt or um, coconut-based or any sort of plant-based yogurt as well are all really good options or lacto-fermented pickles. And not like the pickles you buy at the grocery store, but pickles that have actually been uh, lacto-fermented without vinegar um, can be really beneficial as well. And they have done studies, although a probiotic capsule might have a higher um, amount quantity of probiotics when you eat uh, fermented foods, you're getting a higher, uh, there's more diversity in the, uh, probiotics and the bacteria, which is really beneficial. So I tell my clients like, yes, taking a probiotic is really beneficial, but that's your insurance, but you still want to be getting probiotics from your diet, um, in the most natural way possible. Absolutely. And I think again, eating that whole food is better than any supplement because at the end of the day, a supplement you cannot find, out in the wild. A supplement, a pill, does not grow in a tree anywhere. So the active ingredient in that supplement comes from the actual food source that is, you know, that food is known for, or the active ingredient that, you know, that's in high concentration. So again, supplements are, you know, just gap fillers and not necessarily meant to be the only means of getting your nutrition. Mm -hmm. All right. So after birth control cessation, a woman's body doesn't just return to normal, as we talked about, immediately or otherwise. And oftentimes, depending on how long and what type of birth control one was using, a return to healthy regulation may be delayed by months and even years. So how does one heal her gut subsequent to those years of birth control? Yeah. So kind of, you know, similar to what we've been talking about, taking, you know, getting more probiotics into your diet, really improving that gut microbiome, and then also just increasing uh, your intake of fruits, vegetables that are best for your body. Um, trying to, I, I usually recommend clients that are coming off of birth control, cut out alcohol completely because although I believe alcohol can be consumed in moderation as part of a healthy diet, um, it does do a lot of damage to your gut. So when you're trying to repair, it's best to just cut out everything completely right. um, if possible, cutting out um, really all processed sugars as well so that those beneficial bacteria can start to grow uh, more. And then um, also working on sleep, improving mm-hmm. sleep because just one night of altered sleep or you know low satisfaction sleep can cause a, a disruption in your gut microbiome. So wow really, really focusing on sleep as I believe sleep is the pillar of health. Um, I would rather my clients be, you know, maybe not eating the best diet and not exercising and getting eight or nine hours of quality sleep than, you know, the opposite of that. So, um, yeah, those are probably the three things I would say would be most important whenever you're coming off of birth control. Excellent. I love that. 
And so as we talked about, prolonged hormone dysfunction and dysregulation can also affect energy levels. Which hormones give you energy and which hormones help with fatigue? And how does one maintain health energy levels with dysregulated hormone levels? Yeah. So um, we have these wake sleep cycles that are so great, circadian rhythms. Um, so our cortisol, if, if they're working optimally, our cortisol right. um, and a little bit of adrenaline will wake us up in the morning. Um, and then uh, kind of keep us awake throughout the day. And then towards later in the afternoon, our body starts to release serotonin, which is that feel-good hormone mood booster. And that is the precursor to melatonin, which is the sleep hormone that starts to help you fall asleep. There's a lot of other hormones in there, but those are the main ones that I usually focus on. So um, cortisol is what kind of keeps you awake and alert. Too much cortisol makes you anxious and really um, almost frantic at times. Um, and then, you know, serotonin is what kind of helps you feel relaxed and feeling good and a good mood. Melatonin says, okay, it's time to start to fall asleep and stay asleep. Gotcha. So if you're having fatigue in the middle of the day, that usually means that you in that sort of tired and wired. So you're Mm -hmm. tired during the day and wired at night. That means that those sleep wake cycles are not working optimally. You're probably having cortisol boost later in the afternoon, which is delaying that melatonin release. And then when it's time to wake up, your body's like, wait, no, we're still kind of in the melatonin phase. I'm not ready. And maybe you're not getting enough cortisol in the morning. So, and then ways you can improve that, uh, morning sunlight is one of the best things for that. If you can get direct sunlight in your eyes, no, like you can wear your sunglasses, but take them off at least for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. You let the sun hit your skin. So important for um, signaling to your body that it's time to wake up. They've done a lot of studies and it shows that getting morning sunlight not only helps you have more energy during the day, but also helps you sleep better at night. Also watching mm-hmm. the sunset at night can be really helpful. Seeing the sunset and then followed by darkness, um, trying to avoid artificial light in the evenings as well can help to sort of balance those. Like light is a nutrient. I could talk about that forever too. Right, right. And I and I think even that pathological light, meaning looking at your cell phone right before you're trying to go to bed, which I can't understand like why anyone, I mean, constantly checking Twitter or Instagram or any of those things. Because there's one, it's not only the light and the quality of light and the kind of light, but like the stories you're reading are probably not sleep inducing yeah not bedtime stories no they're not they're anxiety inducing because there's so much going on in this world you know all across the spectrum from you know health to politics and everything in between and it's just like goodness gracious like this is not what you want like these are not lullabies that you want to fall asleep to um so yeah just not just the kind of light but you know the activity that you're doing right before you go to bed um it definitely can be disruptive and even things like, you know, using the restroom so that you're not having to, you know, get, be interrupted by getting up to use the restroom during the middle of the night or and caffeine in the morning. I think so many people have that one to two cups of coffee in the morning to get them going because, mm-hmm. you know, that's to me, if you need that to just get going, that's indicative and also um, diagnostic of, you know, those cycles already being off. And, you know, that may, again, further disrupted because again, you're disrupting that natural cycle. Mm-hmm. Great. Great. So in terms of that direct correlation between hormones and mental health and emotional health and nervous system regulation, what modalities do you incorporate to address these important relationships? Yeah, there's so many things. Um, I will say the nervous system regulation is something, you know, I, I started, I just got my yoga and meditation um, certification about six months ago. Um, and so I've just, I've been incorporating that with my clients. I mean, I, I was incorporating meditation before then, 
But um, I, after a, a few years of coaching people on nutrition, I just started to realize that it doesn't matter how well you eat and how much you exercise. If your nervous system is dysregulated, everything is going to be off. Your hormones right. are going to be off. You're not going to be sleeping well. And um, so that, although nutrition is so important, like you have to balance your nervous system. And, and that also means dealing with your emotional health. So right. what that actually looks like is I find a lot of women have suppressed emotions mm -hmm. and they, particularly anger, because yes. we are um, conditioned. If you have, you know, we, many women are conditioned to be like the good girl as they, when they're growing up and to, you know, only express the high vibe emotions. Mm -hmm. And um, anger is an emotion that a lot of women are not comfortable with. Uh, comfortable with it expressing and they have it suppressed. And then what that does is that when you suppress your emotions, they manifest in physical symptoms, right. anxiety issue. You know, you're waking up in the middle of the night. You know, the, the traditional Chinese medicine clock can tell you certain times of the night that you're waking up consistently is connected to a certain organ, which is connected to a certain emotion. Right. And right. quite often I have clients that are waking up, um, you know, at certain times and it's typically correlated to the liver, which is, um, you know, connected to anger. And so, um, giving women healthy ways to, uh, process their emotions, they found that our emotions only last in our body about 90 seconds. Anything after that is actually your thoughts about the situation that is continuing because our thoughts create our emotions, right? right. So what in practice, what that looks like is a lot of thought work, um, a lot of deep breathing exercises to actually allow women to feel their emotions and then process them and then release them. Yeah. Um, so I do a lot of guided meditation, a lot of guided breath work, um, a little bit of journaling. And, and that's, I think, where um, in society we're having some trouble because a lot of people to deal with their emotional health go to, you know, therapists, the cognitive, traditional cognitive behavioral therapy, right. which is really helpful. But just talking about it alone does not help you because you're just going to keep, you know, doing and it can saying be, the same thing. Yeah. Re-traumatizing re yourself as well. Yeah. Like relive it. Every time exactly. You talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like just so that sometimes you need to talk about something, but just talking about it doesn't help. So you have to actually process it in your body and release it. And you can do yeah. that through breathing exercises, meditation, um, connecting with the physical body daily and really balancing that nervous system. And, uh, you know, breath work. It's, I was just talking about this last night with some friends. Like it's so simple. And it's free. I mean, you can obviously pay to do it. You can do it everywhere. You can do it everywhere. <laughs> like, and even, you know, when I started doing podcasts like this, like I used to get so nervous and I, I just trained myself just, yeah, just a deep breath. And it's like, oh, wow, I'm so calm all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. It's so simple that like people are like, well, there must be something else. No, like it's no. literally the breath. So to answer your question, yeah, it's, you know, all those things have a symbiotic relationship, um, getting that nervous system balanced through breath work and through meditation, um, guided visualizations, guided body scans and things like that are just so helpful. Teaching women how to feel their emotions to actually feel them, express them, cry, scream, do whatever you got to do. Give yourself like 10 minutes and you'd be surprised. Like how many times have you 
been like bottling up an emotion and then you finally just cry and let it out and have like a really ugly scream cry. And you're like, wow, I feel great. Like you just have to. All that tension that you've been holding for so long that's become a part of you is now, it's just been released. Just release it. Like, and that's why, like I cry probably every other day. Like just, I'm like, (laughs) I just need a good cry. Like, you know, sometimes I can feel it. I'm like, oh, I wish I could just cry right now because it's actually a physical release of something that's sitting in your body. So don't hold back your tears. If you need to like grunt or like scream into a pillow or like punch a pillow, like don't injure anybody, but like do what you got to do to let your anger, your sadness, these things that are just weighing on us, release them, get rid of it. Go buy, I mean, eggs are expensive right now, but when they normalize in price, get a half dozen eggs and just go to the woods, throw eggs at a tree and scream. Because again, it's, it's safe for the environment. You'll be okay. But it also be that, yes, it's going to be that physical physical movement and connection with the emotions that again, is going to help aid that release. Exactly. Yeah. We just, feelings are called feelings because they are meant to be felt. They are not meant to be um, thought through logically. They are not logical things. They are feelings. They come and go. They're just visitors. They come and go. Whenever you suppress them and hang on to them, you're actually doing more damage. So let yourself feel what you're feeling, and then let it go. And then let it go. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So are there any additional resources you suggest for our listeners who are interested in exploring hormone health even more? Yeah. I mean, my website. Of course. Sh- of shameless course. plug is a great place. No, um, but no. Be, if, it's going to be in the show notes. That's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've got some great some great blog posts on holistic ways to balance hormones and just overall health. Um, I would say, actually, I have it right here. If you are a reader... This is a uh, mammoth of a book, but um, this is like my Bible, Women's Bodies and Women's Wisdom by Dr. Christiane Northrup. Absolutely. Um, You can see this thing is like massive. So it took me a while and it's it's very, she's so intelligent. Uh, It's not necessarily like bedtime reading. So for me, it took a little (laughs) while to get through it. Um, But if if that's something that you're interested in learning more about, she has so many great resources and she does a really good job of connecting um, you know, the physical, the mental and emotional and how that impacts women's bodies. And she yeah. is a, I like, cause she's, she's a doctor as well. And sometimes in the holistic space, people can get really woo woo, which I love all the woo woo, but, uh, she does a good job of like rooting everything she's sharing in science. And right. so I really appreciate that approach because I feel like it's palatable to people who aren't as open to mm-hmm. the sort of woo-woo approach. Um, right. So that's a fantastic book. Um, Beyond the Pill by Dr. Jolene Brighton is also a great book if you're looking to get off of birth control. She's got some great resources and information as well. Wonderful. I love that. I love that. And any parting words of wisdom? Oh, gosh. I would just say, you know, like take care of yourselves. Like so many women put themselves last, especially moms. Um, and we have to take care of ourselves. You can't pour from an empty cup. And I feel like that's like a cheesy, you know, slogan that you see on a sign, but it really is true. Um, you are doing everyone in your life and at your work and everything a disservice if you're not prioritizing your health and your happiness. So whatever you need to do to make those, to make yourself feel good physically, mentally, spiritually, you need to do it because you're actually going to help everyone else so much more by doing that. Couldn't sit it better myself. Thank you so much, Haley. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Thanks for joining Women's Health Wisdom and Wine. We really hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Think about one gem you can take away from this episode and apply it to your own life. Also, remember to follow us, review us, and give us five stars. 
Till we meet again, remember, nourish your flourish.